what a great truth. And sometimes, Carla, you and I sometimes tease those third verses get forgotten in a lot of songs. My favorite verse of that song is that third verse. And so that's one of those third verses that will not be forgotten, at least in this church for now. And so, <clears throat> take our Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And uh, we're continuing on in our series through the book of Mark. And as we get here this morning to Mark chapter 14, Jesus, this is it. This is just about that time. He's just about to be arrested. He's about to be crucified. He's about to die for the sins of the world. And he's about to three days later rise again. I want you to understand something, and I want you to get something from the message today before I get started. You know, we sometimes look and we think about Jesus and all that he did, and they say, well, the battle was won when he died on the cross. Or the battle was won when he rose from the dead. I'm going to correct you a little bit this morning. The battle was won in prayer leading to it. Every major thing Jesus did in his life, prayer came before it. He got apart often to pray. He is getting ready for the most difficult day of his earthly life. He could do many things with his time. He could do many things. What does he do? He goes to a place called Gethsemane to talk to the Father. He goes to pray. There's a song that on Sunday nights we're going to learn before too long, and the song goes something like this on the chorus. So when I fight, I fight on my knees because the battle belongs to you. It's where every battle should begin, on our knees. One of my favorite hymns, and in a couple weeks on Sunday night, we're going to sing it. It goes, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. The very first lines of that chorus. Lest I forget Gethsemane. A place called Gethsemane, that's what I want to look at this morning. It's interesting to me that this falls on Memorial Day weekend. Our Savior getting ready to die for our sins to set us free. And we see him go to a place called Gethsemane. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. And they came to a place which was called Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with them Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch. And he went forward a little, and fell on the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping. And saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, 
lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. And you look, and we're not going into verse 43 this week, but it says, and immediately, while he was yet spake, then came Judas. Immediately, they came to arrest him. Today, what we are looking at is the last few minutes before he's arrested, tried, crucified, and dies. It's a special place, Gethsemane. I believe it's a place that Jesus went many times. Judas knew where to bring the chief priests, didn't he? He knew where to bring the officers that were coming to arrest him. He didn't know about that upper room where they were going to be on that Passover. That was all spur of the moment. But I think Jesus came to this place to pray often. Jesus takes with him his disciples. As he gets closer, he takes three a little closer. And then he goes a little further and spends some time with the Father. I want to take some time this morning to look at this passage of Scripture and to help us understand a little bit more about this place called Gethsemane. Father, we need your help today. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you for what Jesus is willing to do for us. I pray that you bless our time this morning. I pray that you guide our thoughts and help us as we look at this place of Gethsemane. And as the songwriter penned in 1921, Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. May we as Christians this morning look at this passage of Scripture and see how important prayer is in our lives. If it mattered to you and it mattered to Jesus, God in the flesh, boy, do we need it as well. And so much the more. Bless our time. Bless all that's said. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's nighttime. The end is near. It's at Passover. The moon is a full moon. That's why Passover comes at that certain time every year. It depends on the moon and things. If that plays into it. So I can just picture them going to the garden. And you have a full moon. Then I have a full moon. It's bright enough to see some things. It's lit up a little bit. And uh, Gary and Johnette, when you guys went to Jerusalem, did you get to go to Gethsemane? One of those places that I want to go where my Savior prayed. I was uh, talking to Caroline about it a couple days ago. And this summer, what, we're gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look into, for our church, I'm going to look into two years away doing a trip to Jerusalem. 
that will give us two years to save up enough money to be able to do it. Now, I know some of you in the room, you're like, I got the money now. If you want to pay my way, we'll go now, okay? That's fine with me. You just let me know. We'll plan the trip, and we will go. But I think it would be neat to do a church trip in the next couple years. We start saving now, and you put a little bit of money aside. Instead of going to Starbucks and spending $8 on a drink, now you just save that $8, and that's a little bit towards your trip every single time, or skip your McDonald's, whatever the case may be. But Gethsemane is one of those places I really want to go. If I were to highlight certain places, this would definitely be one of them. It's a special place. Jesus and his prayer. Jesus and what he does. The other Gospels go into greater detail of things. But I want to take some time to talk about this place called Gethsemane. Number one, we see it was a place of support. It was a place of support. We look at verse 32, it says, And they came to a place which was called Gethsemane. And he said unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. You see, what did Jesus want? He wanted his disciples with him. And we'll just say this, they weren't there to give him the right words to encourage his heart. Sometimes the best encouragement you can give someone is just to be there. You know, I could look, and we go to the book of Job, and we could look at Job's friends all day long. We could say, man, did they say some dumb things. But I can say this, they were there. And they sat with him. They should have just kept their mouths closed, but they didn't, and, but they were there. And we see that Jesus goes with the disciples here. This, this was an olive garden called Gethsemane, which means oil press. And a lot of scholars believe that olives were crushed at this place to make oil. And the Bible tells us in Luke 22, in verse 39, that Jesus spent a lot of time here. It says there, and he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. It's a place he would come to often. And so it's interesting that as the suffering of our Savior begins, he wants his friends, he wants those guys there with him. Now in a few hours, they're all going to desert him. In fact, they're even sleeping on him in a few minutes. And I know you'd say, Pastor, I would never sleep on Jesus here. Whatever, don't say that. These are some of the greatest Christians to ever live. And they are just like us, flesh. The spirit may indeed be ready and willing, but all of our flesh is weak. As we look here and we think about these things, often we don't think about the fact that Jesus enjoyed friendships and relationships like we do, but he did. He tells the disciples, all of them that are there with him, sit here while I go and pray. He wanted them there. We would call this the ministry of presence. And may I just tell you how important it is for those in our church that are suffering and going through something, to have their fellow church members and their fellow Christians there for them in time to support them. And you might not have the right, and it, and it happens often. Someone, a loss of a loved one, I will go. And I will say, I don't have any words, but I'm here. That's what people need. Jesus just wanted them there. These were his guys these are the ones he wanted there. And they were with him. We see Gethsemane was a place of support. Number two, we see it was a place of distress. The Bible tells us in verse 33 that Jesus, and he taketh with him Peter and James and John. Now we know that those three, they got to see some special things. I would say they were the inner circle. 
Now, I will tell you this. This is a personal belief of Brian's right here, and I believe it's backed up to Scripture. I believe you can get as close to God as you want. Draw near to God, he'll draw nigh to you. You want to be one of the, on the outskirts as a disciple, you can be there. You want to be closer to the Lord, you can get as close to him as you want as his child. You're saved, you have a relationship, no one can change that. But I do believe you can be as close to him as you want to be. You can spend as much time in prayer and be close, or you can spend little time with him like a lot of Christians do. I think God gives you that choice. I see three disciples, these were the close ones. And we know that John ends up taking care of Jesus' mother. We see that James, what he, how he ministers for the Lord and the ministry he does. We see how Peter is a pre... And these guys were really the leaders. Now, don't get me wrong. Matthew, and we go through the list of the others, they did great things for God. But when you look at the leaders through the book of Acts and you look at Revelation and things, you can see that Peter, James, and John, they were the real leaders. Then you got Paul. You say, well, why did Jesus take them a little further? I think Jesus wanted them to see a little bit more than what the others saw. We see it's a place of distress. Jesus, as this happens, look at what it says, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. Now, anytime we've looked in the book of Mark up to this point, people were sore amazed at Jesus, right? They were in shock and awe and wonder of him. Well, what it says here is it says that he began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. Let's unpack what that means. Sore amazed. This could be translated as extremely alarmed and appalled. The idea here is that Jesus, the Son of God, was shuddering in distress and in terrified astonishment. He is literally beside himself. That's a tough one to think on right there. Say the Son of God, God in the flesh, being alarmed, being appalled. That's what it says. The Bible says he sweat drops of blood. He was in extreme agony at this time. The Bible not only says that he began to be sore amazed, but it says to be very heavy. The word heavy, this refers to overwhelmed, in extreme anguish, heavy-hearted and depressed. That's why this morning, hey church, if you're there today and you feel you're depressed, and you feel a heaviness of heart, may I remind you today that you have a high priest that knows how you feel. He's been there that night in the garden. He was overwhelmed by everything that was about to happen. The Bible tells us in, in Hebrews 5, 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him, that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Psalm 55, verse 4 and 5 says, My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. We see that in the midst of this sorrow, Jesus looks at the, his disciples here, and look at verse 34, and he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. 
tarry ye here. The word tarry means abide. Watch has the idea to keep a close eye on what the Lord is doing. So as we look at this, and as we think on those things, so letter C, is there a letter C there in your notes? I don't have a copy of the notes up here. Got here this morning, and I didn't even have any ushers to begin with. I'm glad Alfredo and Nick took care of things today. That's a good thing. And uh, other, oh, it's next service. Hopefully the ushers are watching next service. Make sure you do your jobs. It's amazing to me. I'm just going to throw this out, and I'm going to throw it out next service too, and everyone can hear for everything they do around church. You work a job somewhere, you make sure someone fills in your spot and things, and you call, and you make sure everything's taken care of in this business world. But then it comes to the things of God. No, someone will take care of it. If you don't do your job, find someone to do your job for you that day. God's work deserves greater respect than any other thing we do. It's a side note there. And I'll, yeah, could I have that? Would that be all? Thank you. And so, oh, you're filling it in. Isaiah, just go get me another one. Can you do that for me? You can give, you can give me the answers? I could use the answers. That would be good. But see, that's the thing right there. And this is what, the answer's already filled in for you. That's why I didn't have it as one of those that you needed to do. So you already have that there. My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. So how did I get off on all that stuff? Sometimes things just come out. But I do believe God's work is the greatest work in all the world. And you should be faithful to what he calls you to do. And fill in your role if you can't do what you're supposed to do. And that goes in any area. So that's just not for ushers. That's for everyone in the world. And so just, just a good reminder for all of us. So if I were not to have showed up this morning, I would have had someone here to take my place. Or you could have showed up and had no church today. And some of you would have been happy about that. But no, I'm here. Don't worry about it. We're good. We look at this place, Gethsemane. We see, number one, there was a place of support. We see it was a place of distress. Number three, we see it was a place of loneliness. A place of loneliness. The eight disciples are near the entrance of the garden there. And then we see that three are allowed to go a little deeper. And then we see that Jesus leaves them. Look there in verse 30, 34 and 35. And he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Jesus leaves the eight towards the entrance of the garden. He goes a little further with Peter, James, and John. He leaves them, and he goes to the Lord alone. There's something about getting alone with God. Something I believe that's very important for every Christian is to get alone with God. Especially through the hard trials that come in life. As we see this happen here, Jesus is alone, and what does he do? He falls on his face before God. Now, if we're being, if we look at the scriptures, and we were to go from the Old Testament, and we were to look at lots of different things, you would see that when someone fell before God on their face, they were seeking God. Abraham and the covenant that God made with him, Abraham in Genesis 17, 3, he fell on his face before God. We could look that Moses on his face before God. David fell on his face before God. And Christian, it would do you good every once in a while to fall on your face before God. 
and you might say, Pastor, if I fall on my face, I'm not going to get back up, then I would suggest you don't do that, okay? And uh, do the best that you can with that situation right there. You know, I'm praying and I can't get up. That's happened to me. Every once in a while, I'll just come to church here and I'll pray up here near the front and I'll be on my knees an hour, hour and a half before I get up and move a little bit. And then I got to, thank God, there's the, I can push myself up a little bit. I'm like, I'm only 36. I don't know how some of you at your age do it. And so, and I could totally see Russ listen to me one day. Pastor said I need to be on my face. And then Joyce is trying, what are you doing on your face? And, uh, but Russ, I suggest do it when you're in bed. That works out good, right? But do it on your back. Look straight up. That's a good way. That's as close as you're going to get to doing it right there. And so that's good. But we see it as a place of loneliness. The Lord goes before to the Lord. We see number four, that this place of Gethsemane was a place of struggle. A place of struggle. The Bible tells us the second half of verse 35, it tells us, it says, And prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. When Jesus sees and senses the total sum of all the sin of the world being laid on him and the penalty and the punishment, he says, if it were possible, let this cup pass from me. You're saying, well, Jesus didn't want to do it. No, 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 no. He was willing to do it. But imagine being able to look a few hours into the future and know what you're going to go through. And I don't think, and the physical, because he is man and God, the physical matters too. But he's also God. I just imagine God putting on sin. I can't. God cannot look on sin. God doesn't tempt anyone with sin. God wants nothing to do with sin. Sin is what separated man from God. And now God is going to put sin on him and take the punishment of the world on his shoulders. You'll notice, you look at verse 36. It says, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. He's literally calling out to his father, Hey, hey, Dad. It speaks of that relationship of a father in a term of respect. When I see that term, Abba, Father, it reminds me of what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 15. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And just as the Father was Jesus' Father, through the adoption that we receive and through Jesus Christ, we can cry out the same way to our Father today. What a blessing that is. But we look in the middle of verse 36, it says, Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Take this cup. When we see the cup mentioned in the Bible, and we think about these things, the cup could, fig could picture two things. It could picture blessing. Psalm 23, verse number 5. But it also signified God's wrath and God's judgment. Psalm 78, 18. The cup contained joy. The cup contained joy, judgment. It contained redemption. And it contained wrath. Jesus is saying, if there's another way, let's do it that way. 
you know, we think about that cup. What did Jesus see in that cup? There are so many people that have given so many thoughts and so many things to what that cup represented. But I think that cup that he was talking about was the cup of sin, was one a part of it. He realized he was going to become sin. He was going to bear the sins of everyone. Every sin you've ever committed, he bore on that cross that day. He became our sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Bible tells us that the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Because of sin, Jesus was going to have to take the wrath of God on him. I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. The Gettys wrote the song, In Christ Alone. We sing that song in our church often. And there's that line that says, Till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. There were two major denominations out there that would not include that song unless the Gettys would give them permission to change the words. Till on the cross, Jesus died, the love of God was magnified, is what they wanted to say. We don't want to think about God and his wrath, but on the cross that day, Jesus bore our wrath. He bore God's wrath for sin. And when Jesus looked at that cup and he saw that sin, he thought about the sin, he thought about the suffering that would take place. The Bible tells us in Luke twenty-two forty-four. I mentioned it earlier, but it says, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Have you ever prayed so intensely that your sweat turned to blood? You know that is literally possible? Look it up. It is a medical term. The Bible just didn't make something up about Jesus. He literally sweat drops of blood. He was in that much agony. That cup represented the sacrifice. That cup represented the separation. The, the furthest separation that the Son had been from the Father was tabernacling or dwelling on the earth for 33 years. But God was right there the entire time. All through Jesus' ministry, he called him Father. There's one time he didn't. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When God literally had to turn his back on his son. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Not what I want, but I'll do what you want me to do. As Jesus is in agony and sweating tears of blood, what are the disciples doing in verse 37? And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto them, Simon, or Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst thou not watch one hour? It's interesting. You see how the Lord calls Peter? He calls him Simon here. Simon was his name before, right? And the name Simon literally means to hearken or listen. That's what it means. And he used that name for him. I thought that was kind of interesting. He was sleeping. Peter had just said, wasn't it last week as we looked at, I'll never deny you. 
and he's sleeping on the Lord right here. In verse 38, Jesus gives a command to his drowsy disciples here. He says, Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit is ready, but the flesh is weak. The idea is, hey, you, and that, I think that's a great thing for us to look at today. Keep watching and keep praying so that we don't cave or compromise. That's what the Lord's saying here. We look at, and we continue on, I think about what John 12, 27 tells us. It tells us, now, Jesus said, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Before this cause came I into this hour. You see, it's interesting how this prayer that Jesus is praying helped get him ready for what he was about to do. I'm going to make a statement here, and then we're going to continue on. But in a similar way, we will only fulfill our purpose to the extent that we learn to pray. I think that's very important. I think many Christians miss the mark when it comes to prayer. Jesus sure didn't, and he's the Son of God. Gethsemane, we see number five as a place of submission. As Jesus anticipates the cup of sin, of suffering, of separation, these things, he verbalizes, and this way he says, Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. The phrase, not what I will, but what you will, they're both emphatic. What Jesus is saying is, All to God I surrender. Hey, Father, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I might not want it this way, but you know what's best, and I'm willing to do what you would have me do. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 42, the prayer's a little slightly different the second time that he prayed. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. You see, the first time he prayed, if it be possible, let it pass. The second time he says, as you look there, he says, if this cup may not pass, then I'm going to do what you want me to do. What a lesson that is for us. How many of us go to God in prayer and say, Lord, I want this and I want it done this way? What does the model prayer talk about? It says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think sometimes we really look at the Lord like he's a magic genie. We rub the lamp. Three wishes. It's not how it works. We need to pray for the Lord's will. I had someone a couple weeks ago get so mad at me. I don't know why people would get mad at me. I'm such a friendly guy, and I'm so nice. I don't, how could anybody ever get mad at me? I say that to my wife, and she just gives me a dirty look. But anyways, this person got really mad at me. They came to me after service, and they're like, Pastor, the situation has gone on, and I want you to pray that this happens. Well, first off, I'm not just going to pray, and this is the thing. The prayer that they wanted, they are wrong in the situation. I was not going to pray for that to happen. I pray like I do everything else. I have people come to me, hey, my, uh, my grandma has cancer. What is my prayer every time? 
Lord, we pray for your will to be done. If it's your will that she gets better, we pray that she gets better and quick. And if it's not, we pray for you to guide and help the family and for your will to be done. So that situation a couple weeks ago, I prayed, Lord, you know the situation, you know what so-and-so is going through. We know you have a will, and you know what, want, what should be done. We pray that you would do according to your will, not what we want, but what you want. That person was so mad when I got done praying. But that's where one of our problems leads. I think we literally think we can pray to God and we can just get whatever we want. We need to pray according to his will. Say, but what if God's will doesn't match up with mine? A lot of times it doesn't. And a lot of times we would like it to line up with ours, right? But at the end of the day, who knows better, us or God? God always does. We see that here before our eyes. And we need to get better in our prayers and submit ourselves to the Lord. And, and you know, and there's nothing wrong. Do you see that this is what Jesus said? This is what I want. But I will do what you want. There is nothing wrong with going to God and saying, hey, I got this. This is what I need. But you should include in that prayer, I trust you and I want your will more than what I need. That's biblical praying. Let me go deeper into that, but I'll stop there. Next, we see this garden. Gethsemane was a place of sleep. For the disciples, it was a place of sleep. They got a good night's sleep here, didn't they? And while Jesus is surrendering, the disciples, they're still sleeping. Verse 39 and 40 says, And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, neither wist they what to answer him. They were out. They were sleeping. They had nothing to say, no explanation. It, in fairness to them, though, Luke twenty two forty five tells us that they were sleeping because they were filled with sorrow. That's what Luke twenty two forty five tells us. They were heavy of heart. They, how could they not be? Have you, ever, have you ever been with someone that is just going through it? And mo I cry with them. I do. I normally don't call myself much of a crier, but I do cry pretty easy. If I'm with someone struggling, going through a hard time, I cry right there with them. I'm sure the disciples that night, Jesus is in agony, I'm sure they were all torn up inside too. They didn't get it all, which they should have, because he told them over five times, but they were t heavy with it, and they were sleeping. They had nothing to say, and look at what Jesus says in verse 41. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. It is enough. That phrase, enough, was frequently used in a commercial sense, and it meant that it was paid in full or the account is closed. Basically, it's enough, I've done what I need to do. Which leads to number seven, that Gethsemane was a place of strength. Look at what it says in verse 42. After surrendering to the Lord, look at what Jesus says here. Rise up, let us go, lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. 
Jesus went into, when Jesus went into the garden, how did he enter the garden? We're just about done here this morning. How did Jesus enter the garden when he got there? He was very sore, amazed, and very heavy. Am I, is that what it said? So he goes in completely depressed, overwhelmed, at, at the end of everything. How does he leave the garden? Hey, guys, let's go. It's time to go. The guy's coming. It's going to happen now. Do you see the difference from how he entered the garden, from how he leaves the garden? Say, what is the difference between how he entered the garden and how he left the garden? It was his prayer. Prayer is key. Hey, Christian, this morning, you look at your life and you're like, man, I'm just having a tough time and I just got to get the strength to get through the day. How long has it been since you got on your knees before God and spent time in prayer? He can strengthen you. He can help you do what you need to do. Jesus gave us a great example of that right here. Say, Pastor, I'm overwhelmed. I have a lot of burdens. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Most Christians, and I will tell you today, most of our problems as Christians today, and I'm not saying all. I'm not this guy that has all the, it says all but most of our problems in our Christian life today is because of a lack of prayer. You have not because he asked not. Say, Pastor, I just need strength. When's the last time you got alone with God? Hey, let me ask you this morning, where's your garden at? Pastor, I don't have a garden. Oh, where's your place you go? I've got my places. Do you have a place you go? Well, I got p close places. And when I'm really having a tough time, I got places I go where no one can get me and the cell phone doesn't even work. A few people in the room I've taken to my, one of my prayer places. And if you can hike 2,000 feet of elevation with me, I'll take you there if you want to go. That's my place I go. There's no more snow there. I got to get back up there in the next couple weeks. It's marked on my calendar. I go there often. No one's ever there. It's just my little spot with God. I found that spot during COVID. One of the and I'll tell you the hardest time pastoring for me has been through COVID. Not knowing what to do, having some of some of you thrilled with decisions I make and having some of you ticked off at me with decisions that I make. Having one good phone call and having five bad phone calls, or five good phone calls and one bad phone call, whatever the case may be. And I'll tell you, for a, for a while in there, I was really messed up in my head and all over. So what did I do? Almost two weeks straight, I went almost every day to my spot. I found that spot. When I get real bad, that's where I go. And I always leave encouraged and strengthened is my time with the Lord. Many times we think, and uh, I love this quote. I want to give it to you. And then we'll... Max Licato, he said this. He said, the battle is won. You may, you may have thought that it was won on Golgotha. It wasn't. You may have thought the sign of victory is the empty tomb. It isn't. The final battle was won in Gethsemane. And the sign of conquest is Jesus at peace in the olive trees. For it was in the garden that he made his decision 
that he would rather go to hell for you than go to heaven without you. Gethsemane, a place that we may never forget. Always remember it. Now, why do we have Memorial Day? So we don't forget those who have died for our freedom. It's not the newscaster. It's not our politicians. It's our soldiers that have died for our freedom. And may we never forget their memory. But as Christians, may we never forget Gethsemane. May we never forget Calvary. May we never forget the empty tomb. In the next few weeks, as we continue through the book of Mark, we're going to go into stuff. You know, the, you know about the crucifixion. You know about his death. You know about his resurrection. But I would encourage you not to lose sight of what he's done and to grow in love with him more and to take what you can. And maybe today you're at your wit's end. Maybe today you need to go find your garden somewhere and get some time with God. I love how Jesus goes in burdened down with the world and comes out ready to go. The disciples were wiping the crusties out of their eyes, trying to figure out what was all going on. Just a thought. This is just Brian thinking. Brian thinks sometimes. I know that's dangerous, and I don't do it often, but I do think every once in a while. I wonder if the disciples would have been awake and in tune and in prayer with him if maybe they wouldn't have all deserted him that night. It's just a thought. Maybe they could have found the strength to make it. But they were asleep. And this is the thing. Their, spirit, their spirits were willing. But just like all of us, our flesh is very weak. Don't ever lose sight of that. Father, we thank you for the truths that are found in your word. Thank you.